Good afternoon, this is Dr. Dan Guerra, and this is Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. Today is the 2nd of November, 2022. This is lecture number 73 in membrane biochemistry. I'm going to first give you a bit of a primer on phosphatidylcholine biosynthesis because you'll see in a few minutes why we need to understand the pathways. Um, I was going to turn this into a video lecture, but I decided that I'm uh, going to postpone that for a couple more days. I'm going to go ahead and make make a couple more audio uh, lectures to um, move the, move the whole format along as well as I can, as well as I'm capable of doing. <laughs> so this will include phosphatidylserine and phosphatidylethanolamine metabolism. So if you have the compound phosphoethanolamine, it will be converted to N-methylethanolamine phosphate via the reaction of an N-methyl transferase using s acylmethionine as the methyl donor. And that's going to generate s homocysteine. Another molecule of adenosylmethionine will then methylate the uh, initial product of that last reaction to form um, dimethylethanolamine phosphate. And then finally, one more methylation, again using uh, SAM or Atomet, and you'll make choline phosphate. Now, choline phosphate is going to be a precursor for a reaction uh, involving CTP. And the enzyme is choline phosphate cytotransferase. But before we get to that reaction, choline itself, which can be generated, for example, by acetylcholine esterase, which I'll talk about in a minute, which is, of course, a neurotransmitter. Choline itself can be phosphorylated by an enzyme called choline kinase, just using ATP. So we made choline phosphate from that trimethylation pattern starting from phosphoethanolamine, or we made it directly from choline. So choline phosphate, as I said, will react with CTP in a reaction called choline phosphate cytodyl transferase, driven by the production of PPI and then 2PI. That will generate the nucleotide CDP choline. CDP choline and diacylglycerol in a reaction catalyzed by diacylglycerol-choline phosphotransferase, will generate phosphatidylcholine. So from just two reactions, starting with uh, choline phosphate, uh, you're able to make PC, okay? And that's using the nucleotide pathway. Once phosphatidylcholine is made, it can be reacted upon by phospholipase activity, making lysophosphatidylcholine, and that's phospholipase A2. Phosphatidylcholine can also be reacted with a phospholipase C, and that will then generate, again, diacylglycerol and choline phosphate. Phosphatidylcholine can also be moved via phospholipid transfer proteins and a specific phosphatidylcholine transfer protein known as SEC4. Now, SEC4, or excuse me, SEC14, 
will then be used to generate the clathrin-mediated vesicular transport mechanisms, moving uh, proteins and nucleic acids and lipids, uh, sometimes out of the cell. Now, back to talking about the production of lysophosphatylcholine. There is then a reaction catalyzed, just passing water over that bond, uh, called lysophospholipase. And you will generate glycyl-3-phosphonylcholine and then ultimately via phosphodiesterase reaction, choline plus, free choline plus S-glycyl-3-phosphate. S-glycyl-3-phosphate can now re-enter phosphoglycerolipid metabolism or can be utilized in glycolysis or in gluconeogenesis. So that is the basic format for PC, phosphatylcholine metabolism. Now there's another reaction which will then incorporate utilizing schwingolipids. This is an enzyme called schwingomyelin synthase, and there's more to it, and I'm just going to mention the synthase now, that will, that will start the substrates phosphatylcholine and ceramide, making diacylglycerol and schwingomyelin. So you're basically moving the phosphorylcholine group from PC to ceramide. And then, of course, the other product would be diacylglycerol. Now, I also want to remind you that choline, as I mentioned just a moment ago, uh, can be generated um, from acetylcholinesterase. So that enzyme is very active in the central nervous system and in the peripheral nervous system. And it will take acetylcholine and generate choline and acetic acid, which then can be esterified to coenzyme A, and acetylcholine is, of course, the central intermediate metabolism. Now, back to this uh, schwingomyelin synthase. The diacylglycerol that's generated is an allosteric activator of protein kinase C zeta isoform. That isoform is directly involved in T-cell receptor-mediated T-cell activation. So that's correct. There is a protein kinase, which is involved in the total mobilization of T-cells via the T-cell receptor. Of course, the antigen presentation is going to be utilized there too, but I wanted to bring in that immune response because it's going to be important later. Now, sphingomyelin synthase we just talked about, but we also, now we, we need to discuss the back reaction, which is just simply sphingomyelinase. Sphingomyelinase starting from sphingomyelin in the membrane, will generate ceramide in the membrane plus phosphonylcholine. So sphingomyelin phosphodiesterase or sphingomyelinase, the neutral form, has been studied to some extent. There is a neutral sphingomyelinase knockout uh, in the mouse model, and that results in a great reduction of systemic and skeletal growth. And what is also the outcome of that is what is known as developmental dwarfism. That's right, just the removal of that one enzyme, the neutral sphingomyelinase. So in wild-type mice, that uh, 
gene uh, and its transcripts. That the the transcript we call SMPD3 mRNA is ubiquitously expressed, and the absence of that polypeptide in the hypothalamic secretory neurons will inhibit the secretion of many protein-based neurohormones. And this is shown to slowing down the hypothalamic pituitary growth axis, which then triggers a systemic growth retardation, resulting in a novel, as I said, juvenile type of developmental dwarfism. Now, the uh, autonomous expression of the uh, sphingomyelinase, which the protein is called SMPD3, in chondrocytes is shown as uh, by functional reconstitution in the SMPD3 double knockout chondrocytes, using now SMPD3 as a transgene, will drive chondrocyte-specific COL2A1 promoter mutations. Now, that is a whole other uh, subject I'm going to get into a little bit later if I have time on this lecture. But I want you to understand that the enzyme sphingomyelinase uh, di phosphodiesterase, that isoform 3, the neutral sphingomyelinase, is normally localized in the Golgi. So chondrocytes are competent secretory cells. And during growth phase, with an abundant secretion of extracellular matrix proteins, you get an enchondral uh, ossification, which occurs via longitudinal growth. And as such, when you put that in tissue culture, you can then study growth and development of that system. So there is a function for SMPD3 in Golgi vesicular protein transport. We know that because inhibition of that SMPD3, that enzyme, the neutral sphingomyelase, will stall Golgi protein transport, disrupt normal proteostasis, and induce an endoplasmic reticulum stress response. That will then compromise the chondrocyte function leading directly to apoptosis and ultimately to the skeletal malformation and severe chondrodysplasia. Okay, so now you see the whole picture. And that's where that COL2A1 promoter is significant because it's a chondrocyte-specific promoter. So the action of the neutrosphingomyelinase and also sphingomyelin synthase isoform 1 and the Golgi, will maintain the relative ratios, because now you know both reactions, of sphingomyelin and phosphatidylcholine, but also the relative ratios of ceramide to diacyglycerol. And this is necessary for remodeling of the Golgi membrane lipid bilayer, which is necessary for vesicular transport. So obviously, that's going to become corrupted in a neutral sphingomyelinase-deficient Golgi, okay? So Golgi trafficking, subsequent Golgi trafficking during growth and development, when you have an SMPD3 deficiency, 
directly correlates with growth inhibition than to uh, a, a corruption of development, which then manifests finally into juvenile dwarfism, as the phenotype would suggest, an osteochondrodysplasia. Okay. That comes from a cell death paper published uh, in 2016. Now, a little bit about the SNS-sigma thionine, just to remind you where this fits in. So remember that choline, via a dehydrogenase reaction, will actually generate the thionine. Choline can also be used as substrate to make betaine, and betaine, after methyltransferase activity, will make the methyl group donor plus homocysteine. So methyl group donor plus homocysteine will also regenerate methionine. Now, methionine directly because of the uh, adenosyl transferase will make S-adenosyl methionine. And S-adenosyl methionine will regulate, for example, many different transcription factors, including the insulin growth factor 2 which is necessary for fetal growth in humans. And the way that IGF-2 works, that um, polypeptide has to be methylated for normal fetal growth. So you can see how this plays into multiple levels of significance in terms of amino acid metabolism, methyl group donor, and then the control over protein activity, and transcription factor mobility, all right? So back to this choline. Choline kinase will make phosphonylcholine, and then that CT, CT enzyme, that cytodyltransferase enzyme, will make CDP choline, and then ultimately diacylglycerol reacting with CDP choline will make PC. PC can be secreted in the liver directly as a very low-density lipoprotein lipid. Ethanolamine going through first the kinase reaction, making phosphonoethanolamine, and then reacting with CTP can make CDP ethanolamine, reacting then with DAG, making phosphatidylethanolamine. PE can then be directly, now you have a phospholipid, trimethylated using methionine to make PC, hence the secretion via the VLDL pathway. So these are all really significant things in the, in the uh, liver. So the pathways of hepatic PC generation are also linked to steatosis. As it turns out, liver phosphatidylcholine is principally generated from choline via the CDP choline arm of the Kennedy pathway, which we just described. The other pathway of PC generation is that direct methylation of the phospholipid PE, and that's uh, carried out by phosphatidylethylamine methyltransferase. And as I just said, acetonosylmethionine is always going to be the methyl donor. So phosphatidylcholine, product of those reactions, will regulate hepatic steatosis as phosphatidylcholine is essential for very low-density lipoprotein secretion. So it's shown in certain contexts, such as in the liver, um, a certain LCCT-alpha-nel mouse 
Now that's the reaction again, the liver form of that CCT enzyme. It's the cytodyl transferase reaction, right? If you have a deficiency or a null in a, in a mouse model, that will give you then a deficiency in PC, and that will prevent proteolytic processing of a protein called cell response element binding protein. Yes, correct, which occurs in the endoplasmic reticulum by those proteases called SP1, SP2 we've talked about in the recent past. That will lead to the activation of lipogenesis pathways. So because of that, then you can understand how you can generate um, hepatic steatosis, right? The buildup of lipid in the liver. PC is, of course, a substrate for the synthesis of sphingomyelin via the sphingomyelin synthase pathway also in the Golgi. Okay? That's another significant... That's another significant reaction that you need to keep in mind because PC depletion will result in a secondary increase in ceramide levels. Okay. So, um, sorry about that phone call, but um, uh, you get the idea how there is an intimate interaction of acetylcholine metabolism, either going through the choline kinase as the initial reaction or through the ethnolamine kinase, and that the liver interactions will result in a tremendous pathophysiology if you don't have very low-density lipoprotein secretion from the liver. That's a lipoprotein, right? And without that, then, you're going to build up, again, hepatic steatosis. Okay? But it's also going to corrupt at the same time that stero-response element binding protein that normally is going to be triggering uh, lipogenesis, right? And because of the lack of movement of acetylcholine, you're going to corrupt the proteo proteolytic activity there, and that will then lead to the activation of the lipogenesis pathways constitutively in the liver. Okay? So that was why I mentioned all those reactions to you before, because it's really important um, to understand basal lipid metabolism before you start getting into specific diseases. So we talked about that chondrocyte disease via PC metabolism. Now we talked about liver steatosis. Same kite, similar kite, in that PC metabolism is corrupted. Yeah. All right. So a paper published in 2019 in Frontiers in Cell Development of Biology continues our discussion of the neutral sphingomyelinase. Now, subsequent to phosphorylation of that enzyme, there is a conformational change in the polypeptide, which renders it available to bind another phospholipid called phosphatidylserine that will fully activate the enzyme, where it now will be abundantly expressed in multiple immune cell lines, as well as in the CNS. This is all now talking about the neutral sphingomyelinase, okay? So the formal cationic amino group from phosphatidylserine is the bridge, of course, of the anionic phosphate. So the role of the neutral sphingomyelinase in cytokine-induced inflammation 
and bacterial infections has been described for a long time. Now, the cytokines that are generated are interleukin-1 beta, tumor necrosis factor alpha, and interferon gamma. So you can see there's quite a plenum and segregation and diversity of the different cytokine families. So neutrosphingomyelinase activation after antibody ligation of the T-cell receptor is very well known. And so add those together, a neutrosphingomyelinase deficient mouse is shown to have embryonic lethality and if surviving, dwarfism and associated fragile bone structure or skeleton, kind of the one we were talking about in the 2016 paper. All of those roles, uh, what that shows you is that neutrosphingomyelinase ablation results in a pathoimmune response. So neutrosphingomyelinase 2, now isoform 2, appears to be essential for T-cell receptor signal amplification and sustainment at low antigen doses, inducing protein kinase C zeta-dependent microtubule polarization and vesicular transport, which is necessary for TCR signal amplification. So what you get then is T-cell polarization and vectorial migration because of that polarization in response to the chemokine chemotactic signaling, all dependent on neutrosphingomyelinase activity. Okay. So in the measles virus, measles virus contacted T cells and in the tumor cell line, also studied, reveals a strong impact of sphingomyelinase, neutrosphingomyelinase activity, and the accumulation of sphingolipids in general on T cell cytoskeleton topodynamics. So you see how this gets more and more and more detailed, right? So let me check my time here because there's another aspect of this I want to talk about. Oh, yeah, we got plenty of time here. So this neutrosphingomyelinase we've been talking about now, its activity is discovered and can be demonstrated on the cytosolic leaflet of the plasma membrane. And as I've just been explaining, that activity is necessary for T-cell receptor signaling. The exact mechanism involves this protein kinase C zeta, since that kinase is the canonical neutrosphingomyelinase 2 downstream effector, which regulates microtubular polarization. Now remember, that's going to involve the diacylglycerol, right? So the sphingomyelinase is going to generate phosphorylcholine and ceramide, right? And that phosphorylcholine then, in conjunction with a, uh, the phos phosphatidylcholine biosynthetic pathway, will generate PC. And then the 
remember that the sphingomyelin synthase, remember the other half of the equation of these multiple enzyme complexes between these two lipid families, will then generate diacylglycerol, and diacylglycerol will activate the protein kinase C zeta. So the neutral sphingomyelinase 2 depletion will decrease ceramide and phosphorylcholine levels, right? That will increase lysophosphatidylcholine levels and lysophosphatidylethanolamine. The T-cell receptor-dependent upregulation of required T-cell signaling diacylglycerol, which of course activates the protein kinase C, is going to be abolished in deficient neutral sphingomyelinase cells. Moreover, neutral sphingomyelinase 2 activity plays a significant role in plasma membrane cholesterol transport to the endoplasmic reticulum. And hence the production, once it gets to the ER, free cholesterol, of CE, that is cholesterol esters, which is going to be mobilized by low-density lipoprotein and very low-density lipoprotein when you're in the liver. So cholesterol ester accumulation in the T cell, now back to that, is actually essential to a sustainment of human T cell proliferation. So any inhibition of CE production, such as the enzymes like cholesterol acetyltransferase, that's the ACAT SOAT enzymes, will impair T cell receptor driven expansion in both CD4 positive and CD8 positive T cell lineages. So, overall, you can say that neutral sphingomyelinase isoform 2 is necessary for regulating T cell function by its multiple plenum effects on plasma membrane lipids, and as I just mentioned, cholesterol homeostasis. Okay. That's intracellular. That's why we talked all about cholesterol um, in the last, what, three, four lectures, right? Of course. Now, paper published in JLR, that's a journal of lipid research, uh, just in 2022, a few months back, talks about a major membrane phospholipid uh, being used in multiple systems of pathogenesis. Now, what is that major phospholipid? It's PC. I just mentioned to you that PC is synthesized through the CDP choline pathway, and that occurs at the endoplasmic reticulum. And remember, the first step in that pathway is the kinase. So you get phosphorylation of choline by choline kinase. Now, in the human system, we have two choline kinase isoforms, CHKA and CHKB. So that's CHKA and CHKB. Those are the names of the genes, right? And the proteins as well. So variants in the CHKA gene 
that decrease enzymatic activity are shown to cause an inherited neurodevelopmental disorder with epilepsy involvement, while a recessive inheritance of a non-functional choline kinase B allele causes an inherited rostrocaudal muscular dystrophy. So those are the two new pathologies. So in affected muscle, a choline kinase B, this is back in the mouse model, double knockout with a choline kinase B protein, so it's absent, you're getting choline kinase A expression also becoming severely down-regulated in that genotype-phenotype. That will result in almost a complete absence of choline kinase activity. Now, as I just brought into uh, your understanding, it's known that stress to the endoplasmic reticulum activates several ER quality control protein-mediated processes, namely the unfolded protein response is a major one, right? This is ER associate, this will associate with endoplasmic reticulum degradation via the relatively newly described endoplasmic reticulum phagy or ER phagy. ER phagy then results in the engulfment of sections of ER into the autophagolysosomes, and that will aid in replenishment and recycling of components of damaged ER. So using transmission electron microscopy in this paper, was what they looking at that CHKB double knockout and the muscle demonstrated extensive ER injury, including ER vacuolization and ultimately expansion and evidence of a damaged ER that becomes engulfed first by the autophagosome, then fusing to the 